This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve, the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's word. It is summer. It is hot. It is July 2019. It's very hot, very hot outside. Um, So praise the Lord for air conditioning as I sit inside here looking out at a beautiful day. But if I step outside, I won't think it's nearly so beautiful because it will be hot and muggy. So I hope you are cool where you are, comfortable, if you will. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Equipping Eve is on a couple of social media outlets, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Pretty easy to find Equipping Eve there if you search for, you guessed it, Equipping Eve. That's how you'll find it. Uh, EquippingEve.com. Lots of resources there at the website. You won't find me on Instagram. Uh, I know that's a thing. I think, I don't know, I see more and more people doing it, but here's the thing. I don't post that many pictures. Um, I'm just, I just don't understand. You know, my life in pictures is not something you need to see. I would prefer to live my life than to post pictures of my life. Um, And also, Instagram isn't real. Look at those photos. Come on. This is like on Facebook, you know, you put the pictures up of your kids when they're being perfect angels. You don't put the picture up when they're squalling, you know, as if they've lost a limb when really all that happened is they dropped a Cheerio on the floor. I mean, you know, Instagram, you've got these pictures of like the the cup of coffee and the open Bible and the journal, you know, or, oh, oh, this is, this is one of my favorites. And this shows up on Twitter too. Oh, currently reading, you know, Calvin's Institutes or I don't, you know, another huge, massive theological book. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's great if you want to read those. Sometimes I read those. But I sometimes wonder about when people put pictures up of the books they're currently reading, at least in my Twitter feed. Um, and I'm not even going to say Twitter circles because I don't want any of the people I regularly engage with to think I'm, th- to think I'm talking about them because I actually have no one specific in mind. But Did you ever notice that? You know, we get pictures of these, you know, really intellectual books that you're reading, but when you're reading just, you know, to read and enjoy reading, we never hear about that. So here's a confession. A couple months ago, I picked up and reread Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. That was a great book. You know, murder mystery, good book. I'm just putting that out there. You know, did did I put it up on Twitter, Instagram? No. Um, I also don't put up every theological book that I read on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I just think it's really interesting how we choose what we're putting up. Um, and you know, sometimes I think that might make other people feel inadequate. Like, oh, I haven't read that huge systematic theology. I must be a bad Christian or, you know, um, to quote the comedian, John Christ, check your heart, check our hearts before we post these staged photos of our devotional time and what we're reading. So um, this morning I had a crafty moment 
and um, I was pretty excited about it because if you've listened for any length of time, you know I'm not very crafty. Um, the show What Happens in Small Group stays in small group. That episode will explain to you how I'm not crafty. Um, but anyway, I figured out, of course, through Google and the help of other people and blogs, how to add ribbons to my Bible because I have a Bible that's kind of a cheapie and so it just comes with this one pathetic skinny little ribbon and so I figured out how I could add some nicer ribbons without glue and you know nothing permanent or destructive so I was kind of excited about that this morning but um, since talking through crafts would go against everything I believe in uh, that's all I'm going to say and if you want to know how to do that send me an email equippingeve at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to the website where I found out how to do that. Okay, what are we gonna talk about today? You're really wondering by now. All right, so I came across an article about a month ago now that I just, I really, really liked. This really brief article um, at Out of the Ordinary blog. So um, this is a good blog. It's called Out of the Ordinary. Uh, so if you Google it, you should be able to find it. Um, or you can go to equippingeve.com. If you click on the resources page there, uh, this blog does show up under the recommended resources because it is one I recommend. So this article was posted on June 6th, 2019, written by Kim Shea. So Kim, thanks for writing this and um, thanks for letting me use it because I'm about to. All right, so the article is entitled, Do I Need to Change the World? And of course that caught my attention because, you know, that's a thing. We need to be radical and, you know, making big, big steps for Jesus. So, all right, Kim writes, it has never occurred to me that I would ever change the world. Think about it. Changing the world is something you can't know you've done. Changes on that scale take generations to manifest themselves. Did Gutenberg know he was changing the world at the time he lived? It's doubtful. What we do will have consequences. Whether or not we plan to leave a legacy, we will leave one. As long as we live in relationships with others, our actions can make an impact on someone else, good or bad. But must I feel obligated to change the world? I cannot help but wonder if in even suggesting such a thing, we aren't setting ourselves up for discontent. The majority of us will lead quiet, typical lives. Even with social media giving people a voice, there are still only a few who will leave a lasting impression. The myriad of voices means that only a handful will be remembered. It could very well be that the people we believe today to be the most influential voices in our lives will be unheard of or unremembered in 10 years. That isn't meant to discourage, it's a simple fact. It is, thank you for pointing that out and making us acknowledge it, Kim. She goes on, I will be remembered by people who know me and love me. How will they remember me? As someone who is more concerned with getting likes on social media or managing to have five seconds of attention because my blog post or photo went viral? Or will I be remembered as someone whose faith was real no matter how much attention I got? And I'm just going to break in here, and I actually didn't plan on this tangent, but this makes me think I'm currently... Um, studying through Ruth, the book of Ruth, um, which I just love that little book. It's just amazing. God's providence in Ruth and just um, the beautiful example that she is to all Christians, not just Christian women. I'm there. I just threw that out there. 
All right. Anyway, um, it's just really uh, something I've just, you know, I've just always loved the Book of Ruth for, for those reasons. Um, and this makes me think, you know, how will I be remembered as someone whose faith was real no matter how much attention I got? Okay, so Ruth has a book in the Bible about her. But seriously, here's this Moabite woman. You know, she's not exactly um, your picture-perfect Israelite, is she? Not at all. She's not even an Israelite. And here she is, and her quiet faith and her dedication to her mother-in-law and to her newfound God is just remarkable. You know, so how was Ruth remembered? Think about that. All right, the article goes on. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Romans 12, 1 through 8. After giving his rich, intricate presentation of what it means to be born again and to belong to Christ, Paul gives one of the most beautiful therefores in all of Scripture. Present your bodies as a sacrifice, a living one. And there is more. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Think as to have sound judgment. We are part of one body. We do not all have the same function in the body. We are members of one another. Exercise the gifts we have. We could spend a lifetime learning to live in light of that passage. Even the simple fact of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice can take years to accomplish. If I think of my life in Christ as something that must change the world, I may forget about what I'm really exhorted to do. Hmm. In this day and age of mass information and access to a platform, it can be easy to feel entitled to be more than we're meant to be. We talk a lot about the beauty of the ordinary, but do we mean others when we say that? Ooh, she's getting convicting. Are we prepared to live in obscurity? The fact is, most of us will. And yet, the task ahead of us is extraordinary. It's difficult. It isn't easy to live within the body of Christ. There is sin, division, conflict, and all too often acrimony. It seems to me it can take an entire lifetime to figure out how to function well within the body of Christ, never mind thoughts about how to change the world. Whether or not I change the world is rather incidental. Ultimately, God is the one who changes the world. We are vehicles, but he is sovereign and he can take anything and turn it into something for his glory. I know I need to worry more about how I will submit to the ways God is changing me than worrying about whether or not I will change the world. Part of faith is allowing God to do his work and living by faith daily. So I apologize for reading the entire article. Um, I just can't help it because I think it's, it's a great article, great, short, convicting article that makes us think. So again, thank you, Kim, for writing it, for putting it out there for us. And I want to use that as a springboard. Do I need to change the world? And she draws from Romans 12, 1 through 8. So maybe a passage you're familiar with, but let's start there, ladies. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 12. I am reading from the ESV today. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And what I loved about Kim's article is that she points out that this list is what we're really exhorted to do. This is our day-to-day. This is our interaction, our day-to-day lives within the body of Christ, with one another, with our brothers and sisters. This is also our day-to-day in the world. And it will look different from those around us. But most of us aren't in a Christian bubble all day long. Some of us are. I don't think that's the greatest idea, but you know, most of us live in the world. We go to school, we go to work, um, we are not surrounded by our brothers and sisters every day. And so we are exhorted to do some difficult things if we were doing them on our own, but by God's grace and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, of course, we are able to live in a way that brings him glory and honor. And what struck me when I was reading this passage again was verse three, where Paul writes, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Yeah. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of all have a little peace. Maybe most of us, I'll say not all, not all, but most of us. Yeah, we got a little peace inside of us that would like to be known. We'd like to be important. Maybe we want that blog post to go viral or that photo. Yeah, we like to have our name out there. Yeah, we like to, you know, maybe have someone who has a, a bigger podcast than Aaron Eddie Quipping Eve mention our name. We'd all like to think that our contribution will be the one that will be remembered. That our words or actions will make an impact. But an impact on whom or on what? What's good enough? Is it enough to know that that conversation with a friend or with a stranger in the grocery store maybe impacted them eternally. Is that enough, that one person? And then moving through the passage, just kind of stopping on some things that struck me. Um, God gives each one of us gifts. You know, we aren't Stepford wives. Um, And if your church functions like everyone is a Stepford wife, I would urge you to get out because it's actually probably more of a cult. Uh, But that's another podcast. Um, Yeah, 
that's a whole other podcast. We have all been given different gifts. Verse four, for as in one body, we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. You know, so if you're in your church and there's really only one way to serve within your church, like, oh, I'm not saying it's a bad church. I'm just saying, huh, I guess you all need to have the same gift. But we don't all have the same gift, do we? Uh, Turn over, ladies, actually, to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? I probably shouldn't have read all that far down because now somebody wants to get into a discussion of spiritual gifts. Again, another podcast. But what is this passage pointing out? We we don't all have the same function, just like Paul wrote in Romans. We aren't all an eye. We aren't all ears. That wouldn't work. A body is made up of many members with different functions. And so we use our gifts within the body however we can. And we seek to honor God through that faithfulness. And we may not change the world in a way that's going to make the textbooks or the headlines or even our favorite uh, popular Christian podcast, but we'll at some point change someone's world. And so how do we want that to look? And the fact that we will change someone's world, even in just the tiniest little bit, that should cause us to praise God. Think of your own life. Think of the people who have impacted you. Maybe it was a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a parent, a neighbor, an aunt or uncle. Isn't that enough? Sometimes it's difficult to be content with ordinary faithfulness. But we have to remember 
that faithfulness to Christ is never ordinary. It can't be because it's supernatural, right? We are given new hearts when God grants us salvation. Our minds are transformed. They're renewed, just like Romans 12 was talking about. And of course, we play an active role in this, an active role in our sanctification where we seek holiness. But we can't do that without the Holy Spirit. And so ordinary faithfulness is supernatural. It is extraordinary. Let's keep turning over, ladies. Turn to Galatians 5, another familiar passage to you, I hope, which means you probably know where I'm going here. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Right? That's extraordinary. That's supernatural. Keep turning to the right, ladies. We're looking for Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These are not calls to radical missionary work in the city slums or in a third world country. Some people are called to that. God bless them. It's okay if that's not you. These are calls to faithful living in the day to day. So as I was thinking through all of this, I thought of something I recently read in a book, a deep theological book that's 5,000 pages long. Not really, not even close. Um, But before we get to that, turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, 
As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I'll keep reading just for the sake of context. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed. Go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I thought of this passage because I had just read some interesting notes on this passage. So I was reading the book these last days a christian view of history so it's a compilation of um, short essays by various authors so you have alistair begg d.a carson lincoln duncan sinclair ferguson michael horton um, and others so uh, it's a good book i recommend it and um, as i was preparing the show and rereading kim's article i just i remembered this that i read in this book it's from the essay entitled A Pastoral Guide to Life After Death, and this is written by Richard D. Phillips. So he refers to Matthew 25 and to these verses that we just read. And then he says, what is fascinating about this scene is that the righteous are surprised. They are surprised that Jesus is commending them. And notice that it is not for what we typically consider the really weighty Christian activities. Jesus does not say, you translated the Bible into a foreign language. You planted 14 churches. You raised millions of dollars for charity. Don't get me wrong, he writes. These are not bad things at all. But it's not the big stuff that Jesus commends here. It's the daily love, the daily ministry that Christ commends. We overlook these kinds of things, but Christ does not. So the only surprise for the righteous in heaven is that Jesus noticed and cared so much about all the little stuff that was involved in just being his servants, doing our best to live for him, I would add, doing our best to live for him as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, he writes, you have works, but you are not justified according to them. You are justified according to the works of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And then, having glorified you, having acknowledged you and admitted you into eternal glory, he will look at you and talk about all the things he did through you. One thing that this teaches us is that our lives are not about the big achievements. Rather, it is the daily ministry, the love we show, and the things we do for others because we love Jesus. That's what he cares about. And I thought, wow. That's like the same thing. <laughs> Don't you love that when God does that? Brings different things on the same idea together. No, we don't need to change the world in these big, monumental, earth-shattering, headline-making ways. We only need to be faithful in the everyday and trust that God will use that to impact his kingdom. It's about the things that he is doing through us, and we are to just be willing vessels. Think about Acts 17, and we won't turn there and read it just for the sake of time. 
But you may recall that there we read about how the apostles turned the world upside down with their lives and with their preaching. Now, sure, we aren't called to be itinerant preachers, but we can proclaim the gospel just as faithfully and still make a kingdom impact. And we can still live out a display of our salvation. You can't live the gospel because, well, that just can't be done. Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, that's the gospel. Not your life, not your works, but we can live out the effects of that gospel in our lives, can't we? And we can do that in our daily, everyday activities. We do not need to seek to change the world. And remember, our focus and our goal is not to make that big kingdom impact. And our focus and goal is not even to make a small impact. Our focus and goal ought to be to honor and glorify Christ so that his works through us make the impact that he has ordained. Does that make sense? Don't worry about changing the world. Be faithful. Be faithful in the ordinary because being faithful in the ordinary is extraordinary. It is supernatural. It is a gift of God. Praise God for that. Okay. All right, ladies. That's all for today. So until the next episode, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.